Breaking news. Have you heard there's a bigger financial bombshell than the FTX crypto scandal? Find out more on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 290 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Sunday, November 27th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, Darren J. Beatty has a website called Revolver News. It's actually revolver.news, and I think the first time I ever heard of him or his website was one time when he was on the Tucker Carlson show. Darren J. Beatty is the guy who did the in-depth investigations, articles on Ray Epps, the main instigator of the January 6th melee at the Capitol, U.S. Capitol, that the feds know all about. They've got him on video urging people to get inside the Capitol. And they're indicting people on simple trespassing, people that the police opened the doors for and welcomed in and just walked around and didn't hurt a flea. But they won't indict Ray Epps, the guy who insisted everybody get into the Capitol. So Darren J. Beatty and Revolver News, they're the folks that did the deep dive articles, investigations on Ray Epps. And one of the reasons that Tucker Carlson has had Darren J. Beatty on several times is because of his tremendous investigative reporting. Okay? So he's got a new article out. It's an exclusive on Revolver News. And it's entitled, FTX on Steroids. Is Tether the Biden world's crypto BCCI. And BCCI was a bank years ago that was mired in scandal and was finally shut down. I don't know if you remember the uh, the BCCI scandal, but it was called the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI for short. It was an international bank founded in 1972, and wrapped up in about 1991, and there was all kinds of money laundering and investigations, and it was forced to close um, their indictments in a a number of different countries. So anyway, 
That's what the uh, the BCCI refers to in the title to this article. FDX on steroids is tether the Biden world's crypto BCCI. And here's the article. And, and again, huge hat tip to Darren J. Beatty and Revolver.News. God bless them. Uh, they are doing the heavy lifting and digging into this stuff. And it's an honor to share their work with you. And I hope someday I'll have the uh, the honor of actually interviewing Darren J. Bating on the Doc Washburn Show. Article says, just days ago, Bloomberg estimated 30-year-old Sam Bankman-Fried's personal wealth at an astonishing $16 billion with a B dollars. Now, the disgraced FTX founder is essentially bankrupt, and if there is a shred of justice in the world, soon be headed to prison. The collapse of FTX and its founder is one of the most spectacular implosions in history. There is no shortage of narratives to mine for interesting article fodder. Celebrities like Tom Brady and his now ex-wife Giselle lost millions to the FTX scam. There's a Silicon Valley smart money that was hopelessly entranced by a wonderkind founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. He also used his ill-begotten lucre to become one of the largest donors in left-wing politics of the last four years. There's also the FTX pet philosophy of what they call effective altruism, the cult-like fad ideology of contemporary Silicon Valley that Sam Bankman-Fried, otherwise known as SBF, exploited to conduct his fraud and justify taking enormous risks. And who can forget the 28-year-old girl boss CEO of Alameda Research, Caroline Ellison, who bragged that her vast financial empire only requires elementary school math to turn profits and whose public list of turn-ons includes controlling major world governments. These people are crazy. Last but not least, there's the, um, let's see, how can we put this delicately? The fact that a number of people there with the FTX consortium seem to be dating each other. <sighs> yeah. I, you know, I cleaned the language up a little bit from what Revolver News says. Anyway, all of these storylines are being regurgitated ad nauseum by countless other media outlets. The story that Revolver News is about to tell you is even bigger and more spectacular than all the other fascinating storylines listed above. In fact, dear reader, FTX may not even be the biggest scam in crypto. Another, even more spectacular scam may still be live, ready to collapse at any moment if anyone decides to take a real look at it. Now, i got to tell you, this article was written November 19th. That's over a week ago. Have you heard of Tether? Has anybody talked about it? Has, has even Tucker Carlson interviewed Darren J. Beatty this time? Maybe. Maybe I missed it. But I digress. The story you're about to hear concerns 
the third largest cryptocurrency on the planet, which you've probably never heard of. It is a story of how a former Disney child actor, a Jeffrey Epstein associate, who was embroiled in an underage sex scandal, bizarrely emerged as one of the world's strangest cryptocurrency moguls. It is the story that raises serious questions as to whether an entire cryptocurrency is a scam, effectively a private money printer. And to top it all off, there is reason to believe that if this cryptocurrency is the scam that it appears to be, it will nonetheless be allowed to continue because of this particular cryptocurrency's usefulness to intelligence agencies in funneling money to foreign rebel groups and jihadis with plausible deniability. Sound crazy? Sound interesting? Strap in, it's about to get wild. USDT, otherwise known as Tether, is what is known as a stable coin. All right, what's that? Well, a stable coin is a cryptocurrency that instead of fluctuating in value is intended to hold to a consistent price. Tether is a USD stable coin. Each tether is supposed to be equal in value to one U.S. dollar. While most cryptocurrencies are wildly speculative and backed by essentially nothing, each tether is supposed to be backed directly by a U.S. dollar or an extremely liquid, reliable investment like a U.S. Treasury bond. These USD stablecoins are used on cryptocurrency exchanges to conduct on-the-blockchain trades in lieu of using actual U.S. dollars. Without stablecoins like Tether, the current crypto ecosystem simply would not exist. There are multiple USD stablecoins, but Tether is by far the most popular. According to CoinMarketCap.com, Tether has the third highest market cap of any cryptocurrency at $66 billion, billion with a B, trailing only Bitcoin and Ethereum. Today, fully half of all Bitcoin trades globally are executed using Tether. Now, a year ago, crypto news site Protos summarized Tether this way. They said, if cryptocurrency was an engine, Tether, USDT, is one of the pistons of the engine. Over the past seven years, the Maverick stablecoin has evolved into a primary crutch for the ecosystem. It's a tool for onboarding new money, managing and growing liquidity, pricing digital assets, and generally oiling crypto markets to keep them smooth. Tether boasted a $1 billion market capitalization when Bitcoin hit $20,000 at the end of 2017. This year, 
Tether is a 70 billion plus powerhouse. Practically every crypto exchange supports USDT trade in some form. The makeup of Tether's reserves and its inner workings are yet to be disclosed in clear detail. Still, the question of who exactly buys Tether directly from its parent company, Bitfinex, that's B-I-T-F-I-N-E-X, has remained unanswered since its inception way back in 2014. Earlier this year, Protos shed light on that mystery by reporting that just two companies, Alameda Research and Cumberland Global, were responsible for seeping roughly two-thirds of all tether into the crypto ecosystem. Now, that's what Protos said summarizing tether a year ago. So, fall of 2021. Now, did that last sentence set off any alarm bells? The sentence that said earlier this year, Protos shed light on that mystery by reporting that just two companies, Alameda Research and Cumberland Global, were responsible for seeping roughly two-thirds of all tether into the crypto ecosystem. Any alarm bells on that? Well, it should have been. Alameda Research is the quantitative trading firm founded by Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried and his partner in crime, Alameda Research CEO Caroline Ellison, allegedly propped up their trading firm by plundering FTX customer accounts. The inner workings of Tether remain remarkably opaque. New Tethers are supposed to only be minted and added to the crypto ecosystem when somebody gives Tether limited dollars to create them. And if that's how it all worked, Tether would be fine. But there is no evidence Tether actually works this way. We repeat, there is no proof that Tether stablecoins are actually backed by the store of tangible assets that is supposed to justify their value. Despite first being released eight years ago, Tether has never been audited in any way. It first promised an audit five years ago, 2017, to, you know, happen eventually. How's that moving along? As reported by the Wall Street Journal, Tether says audit is still months away as crypto market falters. Yes, yes, indeed. Gene Eaglesham and Vicky G. Huang over at Wall Street Journal, August 27th, 2022, here's the, uh, here's the clip, here's the poll quote. As the late great Rush Limbaugh would say, the poll quote from the Wall Street Journal article, Tether is designed to grease the rails of the roughly $1 trillion cryptocurrency market by promising each token can be redeemed for a dollar. Market observers have long questioned whether the firm's reserves are sufficient and have been demanding audited information. The company has been promising an audit since at least 
2017. Paolo Arduano, Chief Technology Officer of Tether Holdings Limited, which issues the Tether coin that recently carried a market value of $68 billion, said an audit is likely months away. Mr. Arduano said things are going slower than we would like. Instead of a full audit, Tether, like other leading stable coins, publishes what they call an attestation. Did I say that right? Attestation. They attest to things, which they say shows a snapshot of its reserves and liabilities signed off by its accounting firm. Now, audits are typically more thorough than other types of attestation. The attestations for some crypto companies sign off on the numbers provided by the company's management for a specific date and time without testing the transactions before or after that date. That process can make the reports more vulnerable to being used to paint an unduly rosy picture. Are are you following me on this? A 2017 attestation of Tether was skewed by its sister company, Bitfinex, transferring $382 million to its bank account hours before the accountants checked the numbers according to what the Commodity Futures Trading Commission said last year. Oh, boy. That's from the Wall Street Journal. Now, Darren J. Beatty continues here at Revolver News. He says, take a moment to register that. In 2017, when Tether's total market cap was still under $1 billion, it needed a last-minute transfer of $382 million just to slide its way through a non-audit attestation of its assets. This is ominously reminiscent of the accounting trick used by borrowers to obtain so-called liar loans in the run-up to the 2008 subprime mortgage crash. That 2017 attestation, incidentally, led the Commodity Futures Trading Commission to fine Tether, $41 million last year, without the company admitting any wrongdoing. Tether also paid an $18.5 million fine to New York State to settle claims that it misrepresented its reserves. The settlement forced Tether and its associated Bitfinex exchange to cease operations in New York State. Crucially, though, None of these fines have fully exposed how Tether works, forced it to change its methods, or even compelled it to admit any wrongdoing. Tether essentially made a political payoff, it seems, and moved on. Now, you know things are fishy when even legendary scammer Jordan Belfort calls you out. And at this point, in the Revolver News article, they have a little embedded video, a clip from an interview that the famous legendary Wolf of Wall Street scammer Jordan Belfort did with Coindesk July of 2021. 
You're not going to believe this. That I mean, we're talking 16 months ago. The Wolf of Wall Street is on with CoinDesk, and he's just out and out saying that Tether is a scam, and they got all this money, and they didn't sue him for defamation. They didn't say, hey, how dare you say this about us? No, I don't think so. Now, I've never watched an interview on Coindesk before, but then again, um, I'm not a big uh, crypto guy, you know? You would think people in the crypto, because this is, you know, they, they interview people. It's it's a big deal in the in, in the crypto business. This coin desk, you would think that somebody would talk to somebody at Tether and say, "Hey, did you hear what? Uh, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street there, uh, Jordan Belfort. Did you hear what he said about your company? Said that uh, you guys are hoaxers. It's a big scam." So you got lawyers, right? You, you, you're going to go ahead and sue him? I uh, I don't think that happened. 16 months ago. So we have the interviewer doing the intro, which is about 24 seconds. And then we got about a minute and 23 of Jordan Belfort just swinging for the fences and saying this whole thing is a scam 16 months ago. This is remarkable. I've never really heard anything quite like this before. All right, you know our next guest as the inspiration behind the Wolf of Wall Street. In the 90s, he was convicted of fraud and related crimes for stock market manipulation and running a boiler room as part of the penny stock scam. Now he's an active sales trainer and crypto bull. Joining us now is Jordan Belfort. He always be closing. Welcome to the show, Jordan. You know, we're just talking about Tether. And I wonder, do you smell a scam in Tether? I've been saying that since, wow, since 2017, um, that I thought there was a big problem with Tether. I was shocked uh, that nothing ever came of it because, um, I, you know, I think back in 2017, there was a thesis that it seemed to be magically creating itself at those times when it was needed most, when people were trying to liquidate Bitcoin. And I was getting it all third hand, so I have no direct evidence, but I'm saying it seemed like a pretty convenient thing that supply of Tether expanded when it was needed to expand and, and so forth. And, and then when they heard they settled something, you know, civilly, and I was like, wow, how'd they get away with that? Like, I mean, you know, like, you know, that's just sort of not the sort of thing that you would settle civilly. So it's a, a pretty serious allegation. Um, listen, I, again, I'm a crypto bull. You're right, long term. Uh, I think the sooner that massive regulation comes into the market, the better it is for Bitcoin, stable coins, and everything else. I think people are scared of regulation. They shouldn't be. You know, if you look at it back in history, any market that was like nascent, whether it was the junk bond market, everyone said, oh, no, the regulators are coming in. The market got much bigger. So I think it's a good thing. And the sooner that happens, things like Kevin being printed when it shouldn't be printed will probably become a lot less common and all the other things you see happening with the, a lot of the pump and dumps will, will vanish as well and that, and that will make, I think, crypto far more viable uh, for the mainstream and the institutions. Wow. Okay, so 
At this point, after this embedded video at Revolver News, Darren J. Beatty continues. He says, it's important to state what is happening if Tether is not actually backed by the dollars that it claims to be backed by. If Tether Limited is pumping out new tethers without actually taking in an equal amount of U.S. dollars, then it is essentially a private-run money printer. Just manufacture new tethers, pump them into a crypto exchange, use them to buy Bitcoin, then sell the Bitcoin for real U.S. dollars. That would be, in the words of the great classic rock band, Dire Straits, money for nothing. In other words, to avoid a Dire Straits situation, a money for nothing situation, the whole system must place its faith in the unaudited pinky promise of Tether's management team. So what remarkable financier is behind this arrangement? What person of impeccable morals is helming this tether operation such that it commands so much importance in the global crypto ecosystem despite doing so little to merit confidence? Say, anybody remember the Mighty Ducks movies with Emilio Estevez? That Rainy Bells? Or how about the uh, the movie with the comedian Sinbad called First Kid? Anybody ever catch that on the Disney Channel back in the day? I'll tell you why I'm asking these questions here in just a second. But first of all, I just want to say thank you again to our advertisers for making it possible for us to dig into the stories that it looks like just about everybody else is ignoring here on the Doc Washburn Show. Thank you to our friend Mitch Ward at Red River Your Way. Hey, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they will drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still right here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online 
from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, now let me tell you about Patriot Mobile. They are America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veterans and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. And switching is easy. All you have to do is go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Now, make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, my name, for free activation. Also, if you're a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. Switch to Patriot Mobile Business. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Again, make sure you use promo code DOC, D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or 469-FREEDOM. And thank you so much to Glenn Story and the crew at Patriot Mobile for making it possible for us to do what we do here on the Doc Washburn Show, day in and day out, now into our second year. All right, let's get back to this article over at Revolver News. Darren J. Beatty and the crew, article entitled, FTX on Steroids, Is Tether the Biden World's Crypto BCCI? So we left off, before we went to our sponsors, with an interesting point, which is to avoid... A dire straits, money for nothing, just a money printing operation, which is illegal six different ways from Sunday. The whole system must place its faith in the unaudited pinky promise of Tether's management team. So what remarkable financier is behind this arrangement? What person of impeccable morals is helming Tether such that it commands so much importance in the global crypto ecosystem, despite doing so little to merit confidence. Then the question. Say, anybody remember the Mighty Ducks movies? How about the Sinbad movie, First Kid? Anybody ever catch that on the Disney Channel back in the day? Well, meet Brock Pierce. 
In the early 90s, Brock Pierce enjoyed a brief career as a child actor. But before even reaching legal adulthood, Brock Pierce pivoted into a new career, which soon ended bizarrely. And then they have a clip from an article from the Daily Beast, which says, in the trailer for the movie First Kid, the forgettable 1996 comedy about a Secret Service agent assigned to protect the president's son, the title character, played by teenage Brock Pierce, describes himself as definitely the most powerful kid in the universe. Now, the former child star is running to be the most powerful man in the world as an independent candidate for President of the United States. Before First Kid, the Minnesota-born actor secured roles in a series of PG-rated comedies, playing a young Emilio Estevez in The Mighty Ducks, before graduating to smaller parts in movies like Problem Child 3, Junior in Love. When his screen time shrunk, Brock Pierce retired from acting for a real executive role, co-founding the video production startup Digital Entertainment Network, otherwise known as DEN, alongside businessman Mark Collins Rector. At age 17, Brock Pierce served as vice president of Digital Entertainment Network, DEN, taking in a base salary of $250,000 annually. What in the world? Now, DEN became the poster child for dot-com excesses, raising more than $60 million in seed investments and plotting a $75 million IPO. But it turned into a shorthand for something else when in October of 1999, the three co-founders suddenly resigned. That month, a New Jersey man filed a lawsuit alleging that Mark Collins' rector had molested him for three years beginning when he was 13 years old. The following summer, three former DEN employees filed a sexual abuse lawsuit against Brock Pierce, Mark Collins' rector, and their third co-founder, Chad Shackley. The plaintiffs later dropped their case against Brock Pierce, who made a payment of $21,600 to one of their lawyers, and Shackley. But after a federal grand jury indicted Collins' rector on criminal charges in the year 2000, the founders of DEN left the country. When Interpol arrested them in 2002 at the trio's beach villa in Spain, Interpol said they had confiscated guns, machetes, and child pornography. Brock Pierce managed to get out of this jam with Interpol without being charged, and his strange path through life continued. Now, you might be wondering by this point, wait, is there somehow an Epstein connection here? Oh, you bet. There is an Epstein connection here. Then we have quotes from The Hollywood Reporter, which said in early 2011, about a decade after the Digital Entertainment Network imploded, Brock Pierce visited the Virgin Islands to attend 
Mind Shift, a conference of top scientists hosted by Jeffrey Epstein. A representative for Brock Pierce says he didn't even know who Jeffrey Epstein was when he flew commercial to the event, which the financier had arranged as part of his elaborate effort to launder his lurid reputation. It was not even 18 months after Epstein had completed his slap-on-the-wrist solicitation sentence in Florida and registered as a sex offender. Nothing suggests that anything of a sexual nature or anything untoward at all occurred at this mind-shift event. Brock Pierce is only one of dozens of figures in Jeffrey Epstein's dizzyingly vast network, and the link between the two may be nothing but a curiosity, but it is a strange tale how a former child actor who never went to college ended up as an Epstein guest a seemingly unlikely addition to a group that included a NASA computer engineer, an MIT professor of electrical engineering, and a Nobel laureate in theoretical physics. One person who attended said, I don't know what he had to do with science or why he was there. About former child actor Brock Pierce. So, that's what Hollywood Reporter said. So we have the world's third largest cryptocurrency, a stable coin that has never been audited, founded by a washed-up former child actor involved in a sex scandal with underage minors that quietly dissipated without charges, who has prospered in crypto despite zero technical background, and who maintained a hard-to-explain connection to Jeffrey Epstein. But hey, Brock Pierce says he hasn't actually been involved with Tether since 2015. And maybe Brock Pierce was just the celebrity face of the venture, and the other leaders have more legitimate background. Oh, okay, well, let's, let's take a look. The CEO of this Tether company is a guy named Jean-Louis Vandervelde. Okay. Let's see what the Financial Times says about Mr. Vandervelde. Here's what they say. The chief executive of Tether ran a company that faced a string of lawsuits in China over unpaid bills and fines for late tax payments before he helped launch the contentious stablecoin now at the heart of the crypto industry. As crypto has moved from finance's fringes to its mainstream, investors have increasingly relied on stablecoins, digital tokens, backed by real-world assets, as a means to buy and sell volatile currencies such as Bitcoin. But as Tether's role in the crypto universe has mushroomed since it was founded in 2014 with $78 billion with a B, of its stable coins now in circulation, so has scrutiny from regulators. The company's rapid rise has also turned the spotlight on publicity-shy chief executive Jean-Louis Vandervelde. 
the 58-year-old Dutch native's career spanning IT sales in Hong Kong, Germany's software industry, and an ailing Chinese electronics manufacturer, gave few hints of the significant role he would later assume. While U.S. politicians raced to gather more information on Tether, even some of the group's biggest customers say they have had few dealings with its chief executive. Sam Bankman-Fried, the chief executive of FTX, the Hong Kong-based cryptocurrency exchange recently valued at $25 billion, told the Financial Times earlier this year that he had only met Vanderveld once in person. Bankman-Fried said, My sense is that he's less involved in the external operations aspect of the business and more involved in internal management and leadership. Another cryptocurrency executive who has had dealings with Tether's management put it more bluntly. He said, I don't know a lot about JL, and most people don't. Now, that's the Financial Times from last year. You know, before before folks figured out that this Sam Bankman-Fried guy was basically operating a house of cards himself, right? Well, I think it was last year. Let me let me let me double check on that. Let's bring the link over to archive.org and see what they say about when it was. No, okay. It wasn't last year. It was like um January of 2022. But anyway, the point being they're quoting Sam Bankman-Fried as some, you know, expert over at FTX, which just, you know, fell apart and is probably bankrupt by now. Uh, he's uh, giving the thumbs up. You know, he's endorsing the CEO of Tether as a hands-on guy who knows what he's doing. Whoops. So at this point, Darren J. Beatty's Revolver News says, hmm, Oddly sparse. Well, how about Tether's chief financial officer, Giancarlo Devasini? Yeah, let's see what the Financial Times says about him. When Giancarlo Devasini first got into cryptocurrencies in 2012, his interests were distinctly small time. He piped up on a popular Bitcoin forum to ask if anyone wanted to buy DVDs or CDs or 0.01 Bitcoin each, then roughly 11 cents, promising free shipping to bulk orders. Wait, he's going to sell DVDs or CDs for 11 cents each, free shipping for bulk orders? What? Today, the 57-year-old is one of the most influential players in the global cryptocurrency marketplace. From his position... As chief financial officer at Bitfinex, a major exchange, and to Tether, its sister currency, which has tokens worth $60 billion in circulation, industry executives say he is the key decision maker at two companies that now sit at the heart of the opaque daily flows of crypto money worth billions of dollars. His first calling was as a plastic surgeon 
although he quit the profession just two years out of university in 1992 after despairing at the job. He said, all my work seemed like a scam, the exploitation of a whim. That's what he told an Italian art gallery in 2014. He recounted his particular frustration that one woman could not be talked out of a breast reduction surgery, an operation, even though she didn't really need it, as he put it. Darren J. Beatty, Revolver News, says, as it turns out, seemed like a scam may be a fitting description of Devasini's entire life. Again, we go back to the Financial Times, which says, the young doctor turned away from molding flesh and embarked on a career dealing in electronics. He built a group of companies in Italy that, according to his Bitfinex profile page, and reiterated by Tether, in response to questions from the Financial Times, he grew to over 100 million pounds in revenue, and which he says he sold shortly before the 2008 financial crisis. Italian company documents cast his business background in a very different light. In 2007, Devasini's business empire had revenues of just 12 million pounds and was subsequently dealt a death blow by a devastating fire at Devasini's warehouse and offices in February 2008. The parent company of the group Solo went into liquidation in June of that year. In 1996, not long after he left medicine for business, he paid 100 million lira, that's the Italian currency, 100 million lira would have been then about 65,000 American dollars. He paid that much in 1996, not long after he left medicine for business, in a counterfeiting settlement with Microsoft. A decade later, in 07, Toshiba sued another of his entities, Acme, for alleged infringement of its patents for DVD format specifications. Now, I, I'm confused here because I thought Acme was a company that uh, Wiley Coyote, uh, nemesis of the Roadrunner in the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, would always send off to. That must be a different Acme. All right. In March 2010, another of Devasini's companies, an entity out of the small... Riviera country, Monaco, called Perpetual Action Group, was banned from Trade Loop, the online used electronics marketplace. A month earlier, an American buyer had complained about $2,000 worth of memory chips that the, the American buyer had bought from Perpetual Action Group. The buyer claimed one box was filled with a large block of wood. Tether says Devasini sold Perpetual Action Group in 2008 and was not involved with the company after that point before clarifying that he actually began winding up the business in late 2009. Trade Loop's forums in 2010 include messages showing Devasini dealing with the complaint and messages from an associate saying Devasini had personally packed the boxes. Okay. Uh, do my tender ears detect a subtle note of cynicism here that the guy uh, may not be on the up and up? That's what it sounds like.
Revolver News says, what an incredibly sketchy character. Is anybody willing to speak up in his defense? Well, once again, we go to the Financial Times, which says, for Bitfinex and Tether's customers, Devasini is ever-present. Again, the Financial Times last year quotes Sam Bankman-Fried, the chief executive of FTX, a Hong Kong-based cryptocurrency exchange, as saying about Devasini, he's responsive 24-7. And he's not just responsive to crises or unbelievable opportunities. He's responsive to -to day-to-day operations. Bankman-Fried says Devasini has a lot of pride in what he has built at Bitfinex and Tether. He said he's really grateful for the people that supported him. He's certainly fairly annoyed at people he sees as uh, blanking on his businesses without real reason for it. Now, again, this Sam Bankman-Fried is the guy who had the, uh, the house built on sand, as it were, and apparently has just lost billions and seems to be bankrupt at this point. So he's the guy vouching for the, the principles of this, uh, this tether company. Okay, Revolver News continues. The funny thing about all the above is that it's all really obvious. Tether is apparently run by serial scammers. Its books are not open. Its CEO and CFO refuse public interviews. The company's unofficial spokesman is its CTO, who is just a developer, if, as it turns out, Tether turns out to be the next FTX on steroids. The implications for the entire cryptocurrency project are existential. Tether is not just the third largest cryptocurrency in existence. Its function as the dominant stable coin facilitating transactions means it is one of the major crutches upon which the entire crypto ecosystem stands. For this reason, crypto experts tell Revolver News that true believers in crypto often turn a blind eye to the dark and damning questions surrounding Tether due to the implications this would have on the entire crypto project. Now, gentle listener, Are you familiar with the concept of people turning a blind eye to things, the implications of which would be very troubling? Haven't we talked about that from time to time? Mainstream conservative commentators turn a blind eye to the stolen election of 2020 because... That would imply they could do it again, and they just, it's too painful. They just can't bring themselves to acknowledge that. Okay? This is similar. This tether thing is too big to fail, but the principles are obviously scammers. All right, but I digress. Revolver News says one crypto veteran we spoke to described the Tether situation in rather vivid terms. And we'll get to those vivid terms here in just a moment. First of all, 
let me just thank you once again to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here on a regular basis, day in and day out. Now into our second year, I would like to share with you the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Do you experience dizziness, vertigo? How about problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center may be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it is designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it never came back. The migraines went away and never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas, but this sounds like something that might be able to help you, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Thank you once more to Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, at TurnMyPowerOn.com. They are our friends, our doctors, our advertisers. We appreciate you guys helping to make it possible for us to do what we do here day in and day out into our second year. All right, let me get back to this article from Revolver News entitled FTX on Steroids is Tether the Biden World's Crypto BCCI. Oh, my goodness. And they were talking about the level of denial that a lot of the people that are really true believers in crypto. They gotta turn a blind eye to the dark and damning questions surrounding Tether due to the implications this would have on the entire crypto project. It's just too painful. Willful blindness to even consider the implications. But they do say they do say that one crypto veteran that they spoke to described the tether situation in rather vivid terms. He said, I have a soft spot for thinking kindly of crypto libertarians, but they all go Ponzi mindset when it comes to tether. In order to be congruent and confident in the future, they need to believe tether isn't a burning bag of excrement overlaid on top of a flaming diuretic Volcano. Everything that in retrospect looks 
super shady. And how did they get away with it for so long for FTX? Is only WNBA tier compared to the 1994 Olympics dream team of schemes that is Tether. Okay, you got the you got the the word picture there. So the FTX scam is like women's basketball, whereas the Tether scam is like the Olympics dream team of 1994 with Michael Jordan <laughs> and Charles Barkley and all those guys. There's just no comparison. This guy is saying Tether is a much bigger deal, a much bigger scam than anything FTX even thought of being. But I digress. Revolver News continues. They say that's the defense of Tether from somebody who uses crypto. That Tether is an obvious scam, but with so much crypto speculation going on and so much short-term profit to be had, it's better to just not think about it. So, if Tether is so obviously shady, what might explain its stability even as the surrounding crypto ecosystem burns down? Some key fact must be missing. There is, for example, the strange coincidence of Tether being a crypto of choice for U.S. government-backed rebels in the southeastern country, Southeast Asia country of Myanmar. A little pull quote here from Al Jazeera. They say Myanmar's shadow government said it would allow the use of the world's largest stablecoin, Tether, as an official currency, potentially making it easier for it to raise funds and make payments. The National Unity Government, which comprises pro-democracy groups and remnants of Myanmar's civilian administration that was overthrown in a military coup earlier this year, has been seeking to raise funds for its so-called revolution to topple the ruling military government. The military government has outlawed the National Unity Government and designated it as a terrorist movement, Tin Tung Nang, the National Unity Government's minister in charge of planning, finance, and investment, said in a December 11th Facebook post that the National Unity Government would officially recognize USD Tether, which he said would enable better and faster transactions. And this was um, in Al Jazeera, December 14th, 2021. So, Revolver News says it looks like U.S.-backed paramilitary resistance funding is routed through Tether, causing pundits to ask, can stablecoins bankroll democracy? And they got a link to uh, the website Forecast, F-O-R-K-A-S-T, which is apparently one of those big financial websites. When you when you click on the link, it looks like a big deal. And the article is entitled Myanmar's Resistance Routes Funding Through Tether. Top blockchain and crypto news can stablecoins bankroll democracy. Nike swooshes into the metaverse 
Animoca and Bored Apes venture deeper into the gaming jungle. So Revolver News says, pretty wild, huh? The Al-Qaeda-affiliated Sunni rebel groups of Syria also just so happen to love Tether. So then from the UK version of Wired.com, we find this. Bitcoin transfer is also at the heart of a network providing money to terror groups. In August 2020, the U.S. Department of Justice revealed Bitcoin transfer had acted as a central hub in six terror funding operations and called for the forfeiture of 155 cryptocurrency addresses linked to the exchange. Other research has also pointed to Bitcoin transfers' jihadist connections. Bitcoin transfer itself has processed 36 Bitcoin, just over $2 million, based on current prices, and 679 transfers since December 2018, according to Chainalysis, a blockchain analytics firm that assisted the U.S. indictment reported last year. Maddie Kennedy, a spokesperson for Chainalysis, says the company has not detected any further funds being sent to addresses associated with Bitcoin transfer since the August indictment, but in the same period. Bitcoin transfer has ramped up its operations and opened new branches in Idlib while also moving from Bitcoin to a stable coin called USD Tether. Uh-oh, boys and girls. That does not bode well. Idlib, by the way, is a city in northwestern Syria. Um, <clears throat> the article continues here in the UK version of Wired.com. Tether is a cryptocurrency pegged to the price of the U.S. dollar and has the highest volume of any cryptocurrency in circulation. Bitcoin transfer opened its first store in December 2018, as well as buying and selling cryptocurrency. It runs workshops teaching people how to trade. It opened its second branch in Sarmada, a town in the north of the Idlib governorate there in Syria in October 2020. A jihadi telegram trading channel shared content about a range of cryptocurrencies, including Avalanche, Cardano, Phantom, Litecoin, and OneInch, among others. A message sent to the group on March 11th appeared to be soliciting donations to supply Muslim refugees with cryptocurrency wallets and Tether. It linked a Tether address associated with the Tron blockchain. Soliciting charity is a common pattern in jihadi fundraising campaigns. In many cases, crowdfunding campaigns were military operations posing as charities Phenomena referenced in the Department of Justice indictment, and that has been widely documented throughout the Civil War. So this is from March 31st, 2021, in Wired, UK version. Now, I'll say this. For people who follow the world of jihad, 
it's not at all unusual for these groups to say, hey, we're raising money for charity, but the money's basically going to jihad terrorism. The Holy Land Foundation um well there was a huge criminal trial in uh, Dallas I think it was in uh, 07 08 the Holy Land Foundation terrorism funding trial Holy Land Foundation was the largest Islamic charity was in the U.S., headquartered in Richardson, Texas, run by Palestinians. It was originally known as the Occupied Land Fund. And it was designated as a terrorist organization, and there were all kinds of uh, unindicted co-conspirators. So after the trial, when the career DOJ prosecutors were going to go after some of the uh, unindicted co-conspirators, they were told by the incoming attorney general for Barack Obama to just drop it. Did you know that? Eric Holder, incoming attorney general under Obama, said, no, we're not going to pursue this any further. Wow. Anyway, I digress. Going back to Revolver News here. It says the U.S. government's history of backing al-Qaeda-linked Sunni rebel groups in Syria has always been vexing and complicated. Remember the infamous WikiLeaks released email in which Hillary Clinton acknowledged al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria? If only there was a mechanism to quietly launder money to these U.S.-backed groups with deniability. Tether is not just the cryptocurrency of choice for U.S.-backed rebel groups. It has also become a favorite of drug cartels, which according to some journalists are deeply intertwined with U.S. three-letter agencies, including the CIA. So he links to an article here from October 16, 2020, over at uh, the financial website Decrypt, D-E-Crypt.co, and the article's entitled Tether Stablecoin Used by Drug Cartel Money Smugglers, DOJ Claims. Subtitle, DOJ Documents Allege That an International Group of Money Launderers Used Tether as Part of a Conspiracy to Help Latin American Drug Cartels Thrive in the USA. And at this point... There is an embedded video that Darren J. Beatty had up on Twitter October 12th. And the video I shared with you recently. As a matter of fact, um, it was episode 283. And it was from... A website called Concrete, K-O-N-C-R-E-T-E. And they're interviewing a guy obviously from Mexico, and I couldn't figure out the guy's name. But they're asking him, is the CIA working with the cartels? You remember that from episode 283? If you haven't heard it before, let me share it with you again, because I think it bears repeating. It's about four and a half minutes long. 
Is the CIA working with the cartels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, short, short answer is yes. They are. <laughs> yeah, man. Not only the CIA, also, I guess every other agency in the U.S. or every every three-lettered agency in the U.S. Yeah, is, CIA. Yeah, yeah, you know, like... Most of those guys are collaborating with, with narcos, uh, not only in Mexico, but all through Latin America. Man. And I mean, they're not, it's not like they're, you know, like smuggling drugs themselves, but it's like they're breaking deals. Um, you know, uh, the, the narco, um, the drug traffickers in Mexico, the issue has gotten so big right now that it is easily... Uh, it's very easy to, to unstabilize a country through through well, narco, you know, through violence, through drug trafficking, mm. and all of that. And and I know for a fact. Now, thick accent there. He's saying it's very easy to destabilize a country. Okay. That some of these narcos they don't even know they're being played by by U.S. agencies to to destabilize um, you know the Mexican government or Mexican forces. You know. So what is what specifically is the U.S.'s involvement with these cartels? Like you told me to watch that that documentary on Amazon Prime, the last I think it's called the last narc. The last narc. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who was the guy's name? It was the Mexican DEA agent. Who was basically murdered by um, some a couple drug lords, and there was a famous or a very well known CIA clandestine CIA agent there, yeah. Felix Rodriguez, exactly. Um, and they murdered this guy, this guy who worked for the DEA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is their specific involvement, and what is in it? What is the incentive to work together? I think uh, the, the involvement has a lot of layers. So one of the one of the main layers it's um, I don't know supplying um, aircrafts or legal entrance under the radar to drug into the US I guess that's something that the US has offered before but um, there are a lot of uh, there is a lot of Talking about El Mayo, you know, El Mayo Zambada, it's basically like the biggest narco now in Mexico. He has always been... El Mayo? El Mayo. He's, uh, he started before El Chapo Guzman, and El Chapo Guzman was actually working under under El Mayo Zambada. The thing is, like, he's too shadowy. No one, no one really knows where he is. There's only one photo of him on the internet. Really? So no one has really... And, and that photo, it's like from the 80s or 90s. Like that. He must be old. So he's old now. He's old now, and he's always been around. He has his people. Um, I was personally uh, at a at a, at a party, a party uh, recently in Culiacan with uh, with his security people. He's he's basically his sicarios, his hitman group, um, and he's he's still in the mountains controlling the whole business from Sinaloa. Um, no one really knows where he is, how he looks right now. He's been too too shadowy. But the thing is, most two or three of his sons were arrested in the U.S. in different uh, occasions, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. 2013, one of his sons was arrested in Nogales, and then another one in, I think, San Diego, something like that. And that family keeps deucing both governments, keeps, uh, keep, they're keeping out of trouble like El Chapo, right? El Chapo got life sentence. And these three kids of him, knowingly um, by the U.S. that they were trafficking and working under the biggest organization in Latin America, which is the Sinaloa Cardell, mm-hmm. 
um, they're breaking deals with, with everybody. So they're in the U.S. One of them, it's actually free to go back and forth Mexico as a, as a legal permanent resident of the U.S., the other guy just got his uh, sentence reduced, so I think it's going to go out next month from Yale. And the other guy received, um, he got, I think he, they, they changed his whole identity and he got like legal status to stay in the, in the U.S. with his family and everything. And I don't really know where he is. And, and El Mayo is still free. So when you when you see that, there has to be some involvement, right? I mean, it's not it's not like they, they hired super... And that's where it cut off, but you get the idea, don't you? It's just, it's just remarkable. Revolver News continues, when the U.S. placed sanctions on Tornado Cash, a crypto service that assists in concealing the transfer of crypto funds, Tether ignored that sanction. Now, one might expect that defiance to draw the wrath of U.S. regulators, but when the Washington Post looked into the matter, regulators seemed surprisingly unbothered. Here's a quote from the Washington Post, and this is from August 24th of 2022. So far, the U.S. government has not taken action. Quote, Tether has not been contacted by U.S. officials or law enforcement with a request, unquote, to freeze transactions with Tornado Cash, according to Tether's chief technology officer, Paolo Orduano, in a statement adding that the company normally complies with requests from U.S. authorities. When asked whether Treasury considers Tether to be in violation of Tornado Cash sanctions, the Treasury Department declined to comment. That's the Washington Post, August of this year. Revolver News says Tether demand skyrocketed in Ukraine right after the Russian military operation began in February of this year. Ukrainian charities made appeals for Tether-based donations. All of this was aided by Tether's special advantage for use in money laundering, according to Bloomberg. Here's a quote from Bloomberg. And the Bloomberg article... It's from October 7th of 2021, entitled, Anyone Seen Tether's Billions? Subtitled, A Wild Search for the U.S. Dollars, Supposedly Backing the Stablecoin at the Center of the Global Cryptocurrency Trade and in the Crosshairs of U.S. Regulators and Prosecutors. But here's the quote that Revolver News is using from Bloomberg. Tether broke just about every rule in banking. Banks keep track of everyone who has an account and where they send their money, allowing law enforcement agencies to track transactions by criminals. Tether Holdings checks the identity of people who buy coins directly from the company, but once the currency is out in the world, it can be transferred anonymously just by sending a code. A drug lord can hold millions of tethers in a digital wallet and send it to a, to a terrorist without anyone knowing. Okay, that's from Bloomberg. Revolver News says, from all this, an alternative possibility emerges. Tether, despite being a scam, persists because 
for at least some portion of the U.S. government, the scam's survival is useful, be it for intelligence or subterranean geopolitics. Ironically, Tether has having some kind of hidden link to U.S. intelligence would be a best-case scenario for crypto. After all, that would at least explain why Tether maintains its value so reliably despite so many red flags. By the way, there is a blueprint for this. So it's time for a brief digression about the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI. Ostensibly founded by Pakistani national Aga Hassan Abedi, BCCI, at its peak, was the seventh largest private bank in the world with more than $20 billion in assets, but in 1991. The bank spectacularly collapsed in a scandal involving bribery, gun running, drugs, terrorism, and theft of customer funds, among other things. Now is not the time to tell that whole story, but there is one aspect worth highlighting. And at this point, they link to Newsweek magazine, an article from August 11th, 1991, over 30 years ago. Article by Tom Morgenthau over Newsweek called the the CIA and BCCI. And here's what Newsweek says. As bank busts go, the mushrooming scandal over the Bank of Credit and Commerce International may be the great granddaddy of them all. The collapse of BCCI and what is said to be a multinational fraud of historic dimensions, allegedly involving bribery, corruption, money laundering, gun running, drug smuggling, terrorism, and upwards of $5 billion with a B dollars in lost or stolen assets in more than 70 different countries. It has now set off a search for scapegoats in Washington where it is widely believed the U.S. government was slow to pick up the scent. Jack Blum, a former U.S. Senate investigator who has played a key role in bringing the BCCI mess to the American public's eye, last week summed up Washington's overall distaste for the BCCI case in graphic terms. Blum said the scandal was obvious to many government officials but never mentioned something like a cesspool overflowing on the front lawn. The CIA was in the middle of it. From a variety of sources, both inside and outside the agency, Newsweek has established a pattern of CIA involvement with BCCI that is more extensive and more troubling to some than the bland official statements that have been issued so far. Although agency officials insist the CIA's relationship with the bank was entirely proper and legal, there's little question that it had what one source called intimate knowledge of BCCI's alleged dealings with terrorists, drug dealers, and corrupt government officials all over the world. BCCI was aggressively targeted as a gold mine of intelligence on a wide variety of illicit activities, according to CIA Deputy Director Richard Kerr, and that, according to Newsweek sources, almost certainly means the CIA's Directorate of Operations 
had its own informants working inside the bank. The CIA kept funds at various BCCI branch offices, and it allegedly used BCCI's home office in Pakistan as a conduit for some of the $2 billion in secret U.S. aid to Mujahideen rebels fighting Soviet forces in Afghanistan. A large chunk of that covert funding, Jack Blum testified, was allegedly stolen by corrupt Pakistani officials using BCCI accounts. That's from Newsweek. Now, Revolver News continues saying, the exact scope of the CIA's involvement with BCCI is unknown even today, 33 years later. At a minimum, the CIA knew about the bank's criminal behavior but didn't blow the whistle to other authorities because of how much intelligence it generated. But there is also the possibility that the CIA actively hindered efforts to bring the bank down or even that the CIA was linked to the bank from the very beginning. Another quote from Newsweek. It says, One former officer of the bank recalls a conversation he had in the early 1980s with a close associate of Abadis, a Pakistani who had worked for his United Bank and then joined BCCI when it was established. The Pakistani said that Abadi had worked with the CIA during his United Bank days and that the CIA had encouraged him in, its, in his project to launch BCCI since the agency realized that an international bank could provide valuable cover for intelligence operations. The Pakistani mentioned one U.S. intelligence official by name, Richard Helms, the director of the CIA until early 1973. Helms later became a legal client of Clark Clifford's and a business partner of two BCCI insiders. This source says, What I have been told is that it wasn't a Pakistani bank at all. The guys behind the bank weren't Pakistani at all. The whole thing was a front. Oh, boy. See, that, that, that takes us to a very uncomfortable area. Revolver News' next question says, Is Tether the new BCCI? Is crypto's entire infrastructure built on top of a naked scam, perpetuated and kept alive because unseen actors have decided its survival is more useful than its demise? That may all sound too ridiculous to be real. Surely the best argument that Tether is legitimate is simply that it has continued for years without collapsing. But until a couple of weeks ago, that was the best argument for FTX as well, wasn't it? Today it feels incredibly obvious that FTX was a fraud. Gee, maybe headquartering a crypto exchange in the Bahamas to dodge and buy off all oversight was a tell? Maybe somebody should have realized that FTX, having no chief financial officer, was also a giant red flag? After all, we learned that FTX's disgraced founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, played a non-negligible role in the Tether ecosystem. According to a report released barely a year ago, 
Sam Bankman-Fried's trading fund, Alameda Research, which he allegedly stole from FTX reserves to fund, has an enormously significant business relationship with Tether. Again, a quote from the financial website Protos, which says practically every crypto exchange supports USDT trade in some form. The makeup of Tether's reserves and its inner workings are yet to be disclosed in clear detail. Still, the question of who exactly buys Tether directly from its parent company Bitfinex has remained unanswered since its inception way back in 2014. Earlier this year, Protos shed light on that mystery by reporting that just two companies, Alameda Research and Cumberland Global, were responsible for seeping roughly two-thirds of all tether into the crypto ecosystem. As Protos reported in August, market makers Alameda Research, spearheaded by crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried, and Cumberland Global, a subsidiary of trading giant DRW, are still the biggest fish in tether markets. Together, Alameda and Cumberland received at least $60 billion in USDT across the time period analyzed, equal to around 55% of all outbound volume ever. $49.2 billion, that's 71%, of Alameda and Cumberland's USDT was acquired in the past year alone, equal to about 60% of all Tether issued in that time. Tether sent almost $36.7 billion in USDT in Tethers to Alameda Research. Okay, That's from the financial website Protos. Revolver News says the close relationship between FTX and Tether naturally leads us to wonder what, if any, relationship Sam Bankman-Fried maintained with a questionable cast of non-public-facing characters allegedly running Tether. Was Sam Bankman-Fried's relationship with Tether partially to reputationally whitewash Tether? before the money reached critical elements of the Democrat machine? And given all of this, should we expect Tether to go the way of its smaller cousin, FTX? Two powerful forces may, in fact, spare Tether the same fate as FTX. The first, on the public side, may be the sheer intensity with which people choose to not even Think about it. There is a lot of youthful energy and idealism behind crypto in addition to many people's fortunes and the thought that something as big and fundamental to the crypto ecosystem as Tether could be a complete scam might very well be a difficult pill for many to swallow. Indeed, many in the crypto sphere have embraced cryptocurrencies as a technological alternative to corrupt, centralized governments. This brings us counterintuitively to the second factor that may be propping up Tether, the sheer magnitude of the government's corruption itself. 
and the government's reliance on tether as a convenient vehicle for that corruption. Thus we are left with the possibility of a dark comedy according to which government corruption is one of the main things preventing the cryptocurrency project from spiraling into a layman-like collapse. Thus, when it comes to Tether, too big to fail may very well have become too big to even lift up the veil. But eventually, somebody has to take a look, right? And that's the end of the article. That's over at Revolver.News, Darren J. Beatty's imprint, article that came out November 19th. I think everybody's been ignoring it, but I thought I should share it with you. It's called FTX on Steroids is Tether, the Biden World's Crypto BCCI. Oh, my goodness. Well, having done that deep dive, Having shared that entire thing with you, I think there's only one thing to say at this point. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way. The big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. Including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. All right, today's tweet of the day is from uh, the great Robbie Starbuck over in Nashville. He's got a link to an article over at uh, DailyWire.com which says animated gay teen romance film is woke Disney's latest box office bomb. And Robbie Starbuck says Disney's latest woke film bombed at the box office. It's a gay teen romance with climate change metaphors and even has a disabled dog representation. Yet somehow people didn't want to see it. I can't imagine why. It's almost like most of America isn't woke. And he has one of those emojis there of the, the face laughing so hard it's crying. So thank you to Robbie Starbuck and thank you to RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day. You've been listening to Episode 290 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Now, that's the way it is. Sunday, November 27th. 2022.